Are there any good-looking podcast listeners out there tonight? Hello and welcome to Soccer Noob Rocket America featuring you-know-who. Hello! Yeah, person new, my 11-year-old daughter co-host. This is episode 142. Can't believe we're slowly edging up on three years of bringing you all these mini previews. We've had so much fun doing it from all the greatest races worldwide in soccer. Now, that means big matches that you may be already paying attention to unless you're a truly noob fan. And uh, many from places where the match might be a title race decider or a trophy decider, but maybe it's only a big deal where it's being played. Countries big and small. We go everywhere for league play and for tournaments. Plus, three listener voted bonus matches. Very unique. Lots of special segments and fun. Little non-soccer in there. I mean, we always tie it in. Geographically, we've got music, art, food, fun, all these episodes. And, of course, everybody loves hearing from person noob and we will be hearing her throughout the show including her own special segment uh midway through the program so if you need to i don't have a timestamp for you but <laughs> you can go through to like match number five if you're only listening to catch what she has to say about the endangered animals of the world it's lots of fun so with no further ado let's dive into the footy with match number one And we start our trek on Friday. We've actually got a mess of action on Friday. We'll start here in the United States with a third-level league, USL League One. Six of the 12 teams will make the playoffs. The top two will get by straight to the semifinals. This is a triple-round-robin season for them all, and they are approaching the halfway mark. Your matchup, number one, North Carolina FC versus current second-place Charlotte Independence. They are tied on points at the table. Worth noting, though, that North Carolina lead on total wins and have a match in hand. Uh, the two of them, they lead two other clubs by one point. The series between these two has been pretty darn even. The one thing you can say for sure is that it's unlikely to be a tie. Uh, the series record stands at 8-2-7. and seven. When they played earlier this season in Charlotte, they only played a, to a 1-1 draw. You can catch this edition on ESPN Plus at 7 o'clock Eastern Time. As is our tradition here, we will start with the home team, North Carolina. They were founded in 2006 as the Carolina Carolina Railhawks. I wish that they had stuck with a nickname like that. They play in Cary, which is basically a very, very large suburb of the capital city of Raleigh. And uh, I only recently learned this one-time U.S. men's national team coach, Dave Sarachan. He actually managed there. But when the club uh, when the club dropped down from uh, the USL Championship, or what is the second division now in 2021, down to this level, he left. Historically, uh, they have won the North American Soccer League two different times. The Supporters' Cup, I should say, best regular season record, 2013, the more recent of those two times. Last year in this league, they were in last place. So they have really turned things around, largely on the offensive side. Uh, They have the third best offense, getting almost a goal and a half per match. Their defense is in the top half as well. I don't think that this is a team that really has the goods to win the league, but they will make the playoffs. Key players to look for, tied for number one in league assists with four, is Olex Anderson. Uh, He is from 
St. Vincent and the Grenadines. So a little Caribbean action going on there. Played for Seattle Sounders in MLS in 2016, and he has made uh, nearly two dozen national team appearances for his home country. And then another key player, second best overall for them is Rafael Menzingen, really for the whole league. He's their Brazilian left winger, but he has spent his whole career in various leagues in the United States, although he's never been in Major League Soccer, I don't believe. Team's current form, they are 1-1-1 in their last three with just a 3-5 and goal differential. And now let's talk about the Jacks of the Charlotte Independence. That is their nickname, named for James Jack, the historical figure, who is one who is said to have carried the Declaration of Independence. And that's him racing on horseback that you'll see featured on their crest. When they were in the USL Championship, they made the quarterfinals a couple different times, more recently in 2020. Last year, they snuck into the playoffs in the number six position and made the quarterfinals, but no further. This year, very well balanced. Top four offense, top three defense. They're one of the clubs giving up less than one goal per match. They are tied for second best in goal differential. That makes me think that this is a team, as opposed to Carolina, who may truly end up competing for a spot you know, in the top two and getting a bye to the semifinal. Key player to look for, number one in possessions, one in the offensive or final third at almost two per match is one of their part-timers, Gabriel Obertan. He is from France, midfielder, veteran, 35 years old. He actually played for Manchester United, again part-time, but between 2009 and 2011. Longest stint he had anywhere was with Newcastle. Also, keep an eye open for their goalkeeper. Tied for second best in the league in clean sheets with six. That is Austin Pack. He's also second best in save percentage. He is one of just two. Two goalkeepers in the league managing over an 80% save rate. He's also number one in total saves per 90 at 3.7. Very impressive. And then finally, I think they're team MVP, at least in the outfield, that is Joel. He is uh, their uh, left back, and he is from, or rather, he has played for Valencia and Real Madrid very early in his career, but he is mostly with reserves tides. Only made one senior app between the two. Team's current form, 1-1-1 one, one, and one in their last three with a 5-4 and four goal, predict, uh, goal differential. My prediction is a 1-1 draw for this one. I don't think ultimately either one is going to finish in the top two, and I'm not sure that North Carolina is even going to host a playoff match. Match number B. That's right. You heard correctly from my daughter, dearest. Number two, yuck. We're trying to eliminate that uncouth phrase from our lives. Switch over with us. Join the revolution and listen to it in action right here. Match number B. There you go. We're also on a mission to not only do that, but to get to some quote-unquote lower leagues here in the United States. All summer long, we're headed to the WPSL, which is a Tier 4 league here in the States. I believe kind of unofficially, but there's actually no league level currently in play between them and the Tier 1 NWSL. But that's going to change starting in 2025. There's at least one league coming in between. The WPSL is in fact going to be adding a professional league of their own in 2025. This one right now is the world's largest league at 130 teams. The matchup we're going to look at, number one in their division, FC Premier Women, kind of a vague name, versus number B, there it is again, SoCal Reds. They're in the Western Conference in the Southern Cal, in the SoCal Coastal Division. That's the name of it. 
Just six clubs in this particular one, and only the champion will get to go to the league's national playoffs. Right now, Premier Women, they lead SoCal Reds by a couple of points. This is the last match for Premier Women, but SoCal Reds have three matches left. So it is really on the home team here to get those points and hope that that lead can hold up then. And by the way, when they played earlier this season, wow, SoCal Reds thumped them at their place for nothing. We will talk about the home team first out of Bellflower, California. That is FC Premier Women. That's in the southeast part of L.A. County, by the way. Used to be really agriculture area, but it's kind of been developed over suburb of uh, 80,000 people. Last year, they finished in third place out of the five clubs that were in the division at the time. This year, uh, the defense isn't so great. The offense is a little bit above average. Third best, they're getting two goals per match. Third best goal differential. I don't think that they're going to be able to uh, get all three points at home against SoCal Reds, nor do I think they were going to make the playoffs. Probably disagreeing with me, team leading scorer with eight on the season, Cherry Cox. She plays for, or at least used to play for, Long Beach State. Team's current form, they have won four straight matches. They're in great form with a cartoonishly impressive nine-against-one goal differential. And now your probable champions in waiting, SoCal Reds out of Irvine. They might be new, sometimes a little bit tough to find information on some of these lower league teams. What I can tell you for sure is they weren't in this league last year. And they have let yet to lose this year. These are your champions in waiting more than likely. They are number one in both offense and defense. They are the only club, by the way, in this particular division that is averaging less than one goal per match in terms of what they're conceding. They've got the number one goal differential by a factor of 50%. Team leading scorer for them with four on the season. Erin Healy has netted that many, and she plays or at least used to play for Gonzaga. Team's current form, they won two straight following their only two draws and dropped points of the season. Match number three. Just a ton of Friday action this particular week. We're going to head across the pond and into Europe to Latvia's higher league for our third match. It is the number 35 ranked league in all of Europe. Only their champion will get to go to the Champions League next year, and they'll have to start in the first qualifying round. Two other teams will get sent to the Europa Conference League's first qualifying round. That's the moderately new tertiary international club tournament in Europe. The season is just over halfway through for this one of the more northernly clubs, or rather leagues, within Europe, so they're not on the same schedule as, say, the Premier League in England and some of those other big ones. Your matchup, though, it is big where it is being played. This is a two-horse race, to say the least. Number one, Riga FC versus number BRFS. The series between them in recent years has been incredibly close with... Uh, RFC having a 10-10-9 uh, record accrued. So the slimmest of advantages this year has been very even as well. They've drawn twice. When they played at RFS, they only managed themselves a nil-nil draw. And then the first time they played at Riga FC... They drew 1-1, so at least they were scoring. In the table, it is Riga FC that lead by one point over their visitors today. And the two of them, just to let you know, lead number three, uh, Leah Paya, by 18 points. Ain't going to be no catching up there. That is for certain. And this is the time of show where I start to think about having to send person new to college and make the mortgage payment and things like that. So when we think about that, we think about gambling. And when we want to think about gambling here on this show, we think about cheating. Why? Because we have our own in-house prognosticator, 3,500-year-old soothsayer, Noob Stradamus, who is here to have a drug 
aided or perhaps usually drug-addled vision to help us divine a soccer result and let us know how to lay our quid. What say you, O mighty diviner? Greetings from the Thracian plains of Greece. Tis I. Summertime means the lotuses are in full bloom. I smoke the leaves. Once again, travel through space and time. We. My sight of the physical world fades and the vision begins. But not in Greece, nor even in Latvia, where the footy match result for which you desire, a divine result is. Nay, I am in a university cafeteria in Berlin, of all places. Though it's crowded, I very soon see an old friend. Old as you would think of it, anyway. One hundred years ago, I'd found myself at the university in Berlin for a time shutting up the Neo-Kantians and such during classes by day and drinking too many Holstein Brauerei Pilsners by night. Good times, especially when with my professorial philosopher friend, Nikolai Hartmann, originally from Riga. Critical realists are far better barmaids. I think it's their clearly defined belief in modal realities. He sits across from me, and the room goes silent. A course of schnitzel, rye bread, and corn silently manifests in our portion of the table. Knowing he is an avatar for the Universal Infinite, here in the Vision Realm I ask him repeatedly about the Latvian soccer match in question. But old Nicky will only complain of how hungry he is. Yet he ignores the feast in front of us. Finally, I lose my patience and quote some of his own famous words back at him. The tragedy of man is that somebody who is starving and sitting at a richly laden table, but who does not reach out with his hand because he cannot see what is right in front of him. For the real world has inexhaustible splendor. The real life is full of meaning and abundance where we grasp it. It is full of miracles and glory. Staring me dead in the eyes, he perfectly grabs a piece of the rye bread and smiles at me as he chews. The vision fades. Noob, I feel certain Hartman wants us to grasp what is in front of us. Simply that these are two equal teams. Riga FC are at home and have not lost there in six matches. FC will win 1-0 this day. I have seen and I have spoken. Match number four. Still on Friday, maybe the busiest one we've ever had on this show. We are not done with your weekend startup. Match number four, the UEFA Champions League. Yeah, I know the final was just a few weeks ago, but guess what? The preliminary round has already begun for the 2023-2024 version. Now, this is where you get your micro states and your very small nations. In fact, these are the four 
lowest-rated clubs that qualified for the tournament by winning their domestic leagues. They have a little four-team tournament to determine which one of them will move on to the true, quote-unquote, first qualifying round. It is being played in Iceland, and in fact, one of your teams is from there, although technically they're listed as the visitor for some reason. Your matchup, uh, Budnokost Podgorica taking on Breda Blek from Montenegro and Iceland, respectively. They've played each other a couple times before, and each of them have won one. Let's talk about the first one whose pronunciation I think I'm probably butchering, uh, Podgorica. Actually, I think I've got that one right, just not sure about the first word. Budnosost? Budnosost? Let's just call him Podgorica. <laughs> the Montenegrin First League, their top flight, is ranked number 52 out of the 55 European leagues. In the 2022-23 season, they tied with Sudetska on points for the title, but they won on head-to-head tiebreaker. They did not have the best goal differential. They've actually won the title there in their country six different times. Last year, they made the second qualifying round of the Europa Conference League. 2010-2011 was their best ever international finish. They made the third qualifying round of the Europa League. League play this year, number one by a lot. They're the only club getting uh, two goals plus per match. They've got a top three defense to go with that. Tied for number five in league scoring for them has been Zoran Petrovic, who netted eight on the year. Team's current form, well, they beat Athletic Escaldes of Andorra, uh, of Andorra, rather, nilled three to advance from the preliminary semifinal into this final. And now for the hosts who on paper are visitors for whatever reason, it is Breda Blick. And Icelandic is one of the toughest languages to learn. There's a D in there with a little, you know, T cross type thing on top of it. So I could be getting that brutally wrong. But if you Google them up, they're an easy find because they're often near or at the very top of their domestic league, the best of DL'd. They're known as the Bilkar, which I believe loosely translates to wheels. So... If I've got it right, that's kind of a cool or at least unusual nickname. Something else they're known for in the soccer world, they have got the nation's largest youth facility. So their players tend to be just about or entirely homegrown. They play out of the city of Copavogur, which is the second biggest one in the country. Uh, it's only a uh, it's got about 40,000 people and it's just south of the capital. So it's not quite a suburb, but pretty darn close. Their top flight league that I mentioned, the best of DL, it is ranked number 47 in all of Europe. The club, to give you some perspective, is ranked 353. That puts them between a Division I Faroe Islands club and a third division Montenegrin team, which you would think would mean that the Montenegrin uh, first division team should be the favorites here, even on the road. But I'm going to be going with uh, Breda Black. I really like them at this level. Uh, last year was their second league title in their history. And then they went on uh, two years ago to win, after they'd won their league title, the Europa Conference League third qualifying round. Nearly made it to the group stage. That's the farthest they've ever been in any European competition. They're currently number three in league play. Uh, pretty well balanced. I don't think they're going to threaten for the title this time around. They're just top five in both offense and defense. The offense is a little stronger, maybe getting almost two goals per shot. Number one league scorer with them with six so far is Stefan Ingri 
Sigurdsson. Oh, there's that crazy D that doesn't look like a D once again with the little T crossing over it. Uh, I got to learn these languages. I am language noob and top of soccer noob. Teams current four there, one, one, and one in their last three. A lot of high scoring affairs and 11 and 8 goal differential working over that stretch. They advanced to this preliminary final by beating Microstate San Marino's Trey Penne 1 to 7 in the opener. Match number five. And still more Friday action sees us in Asia for the SAFF Championship in Bangalore, India. It's unknown at the time we scouted this who the semifinalists were going to be, and the final is being played on Tuesday. So the best we can do is just say, hey, the event's going on. Check it out online. Look up some scores. Enjoy yourself if you're interested in countries like these. I believe Guest Nation Iran is going to be at least one of the four semifinalists, as well as the hosts from India. India. But that's the perfect time for us to take a little break from the soccer and turn things over to my 11-year-old daughter co-host, Person Noob, who may be comparatively new to being alive, but she has sure learned a lot about endangered animals all over the world. It's time to turn things over for her. Aminals, aminals, aminals from around the world. Oh, yeah. That's right. It's time for Person Noob to take over, and we take a break from the footy so that you can learn about an animal that's really awesome and may not be doing that well from somewhere out in the world, a passion of Person Noob. So so what animal did you pick this time? The red panda. Now, I would like to point out before we get into uh, our collective notes here that I think Person Noob... Uh, it was in for a surprise right before she reviewed them because she assumed panda meant, you know, panda like you, you know, think of, oh, Ling Ling at the zoo is about to give birth. So let's get into it. First of all, red pandas, what is their status? In danger. So at least it's not critically in danger, but they're not doing that great. What part of the world do we find them in? Um, uh, we, find, uh, we can find them in the eastern Himalayas to the southwest China. Right, so part of that is the far northeast India, and we were talking about how to pronounce this state in India, and we really don't know, but how do you think it's pronounced? Sikkim. Sikkim or Sikkim. Yeah, we're pretty close. All right, so how big is the red panda? Um, well, literal, what, a little bit over two feet long. Okay, and is that the whole thing, including the tail? Oh, um, no, just head to body. Head to body. So two feet, that doesn't sound like a, a panda like we're used to seeing, you know, from zoos and various things that are much, much bigger. Now, uh, let's, we'll get more into that in a little bit. Describe to us more about what it looks like. Uh, well, it has a thick red-brown fur, um, a black stomach and legs, a white outline on the ears, a white muzzle, and a ring's tail. Oh, it sounds cute. It's cute. But it is not... Um, this isn't in your notes. This is from mine. To find when these two were sort of together on the evolutionary chain, you've got to go back a quarter of a billion years. Ah. So they have been a long time apart. In fact, the red panda. Is not a bear like a giant panda. Not a bear. Nope. So it's the red panda, not a red panda bear. What is it more like? Um, well, it's more like a raccoon, weasels, and skunks and stuff like that. Now, they do have a couple of things in common. What are those? Oh, uh, well, they both, uh, they both have the, the same fake thumb used for grabbing bamboo. Um, and it has to eat long bamboo, and it has to eat lots of bamboo every day. Yeah, how come it has to eat so much bamboo? Because, um, 
Ah,、uh, well, because well, GI tract can't digest most of the stuff, so it has to poop most of it out. Yeah, so it's got to eat all day long. And then, even though it's not very nutritional in value, I'll let you know something I found that the bamboo of all the things that it eats is the one thing that is is always available twenty four seven. The bamboo grows year round, so even though it's not. Great for the animal because it's got a tummy like a carnivore because of its evolution, but、uh, so it's not really handled to、uh, do bamboo. And in fact, it only、uh, it uses it's like kind of between its cheek and gums. It puts the、uh, bamboo stick in there and it shears off、uh, the leaves and some of the smaller stems, and that's the part that it eats. And it can't even really handle that. Now, what can you tell us about where it likes to live? Um. Oh, it likes steep slopes with bamboo,、uh, and it's close to water. Right, and then how does that allow them to get along with、uh, giant pandas? Because giant pandas and them are found in the same place. I'll tell you. Oh yeah. Um. Well, the giant pandas like the, a little bit flatter area, so that they can be in almost the same area. Okay, so basically, there are、uh, the the pandas are the giant pandas, I should say, are further down, like a mountain slope or in the you know in the forests. And while this creature is arboreal or likes to be up in the trees, it、uh, the one we're talking about, the red panda, it likes to live higher up the slopes.、Mm-hmm. So there's not a lot of competition because they're pretty solitary animals, both of them.、Mm-hmm. Okay, what are some of the threats? Um, poaching and deforestation. Right now,、uh, there are a variety of reasons for why it is poached. The one that is in our notes just has to do with Northeast India, since the match that we're talking about is going to be in India.、Mm-hmm. Um. Oh well, Northeast India. Um. It's it's considered good luck to wear a hat made of its fur. Yeah. So it's a big part of the culture there, since it's considered good luck. I'll tell you that other places, like in China, the claws. I don't know how they grind them up or what they do, but、uh, in holistic medicine,、um, they、uh, use the claws to try to treat epilepsy. And they use some of the other、uh, parts to,、uh, you know, work with、uh, to try to cure other illnesses. Maybe based on some. It's not really based on science or necessarily holistic medicine, but there might be something to some of it. So there are a variety of reasons、uh, over their whole geographical range that they are poached. But that is, in fact, the one for Northeast India. What's being done to protect them?、Um, well, many national parks and nature. Uh, and nature reserves protect them in India and surrounding countries. Yeah, there were at least two that I saw in my notes that were in Northeast India, and there were a whole bunch in China and Nepal and other places where they live. So good on them for doing their best to give these guys habitats, you know, that aren't getting、uh, wiped out. And now for our favorite part of animals, you know what it is, even though you didn't see them. You can read the tab, can't you, over here? What does it say? The baby. That's right. Even though this is an audio format, you get to listen to person who reacts to pictures of the babies. Oh, do you have a favorite already right out of the gate? Well, describe what you're seeing. Um. Oh、uh, well, it's like. Oh、uh, well, it's kind of like a like a like the black stomach and like the red pan, but it's got a little open mouth and and it looks like it's just. It looks like it's saying hi, and it's on a little tree branch. It's looking at the camera. Yeah, it's got. It's so cute. Yeah, one paw picked up. He looks like he's smiling. Yeah, that's a cartoon one. I know, but it's so cute. Yeah. It's so cute. You see any other favorites? That that one that one looks like he's giving someone a hug. Yeah, he's being held by a person. The arm. Something here looks sweet. Oh, that's her arm. <laughs> I thought it was his arm. That's her arm, and then the the glove, the rubber glove, she or latex、Aww. glove, was throwing me off. Well, it looks like 
Well, it looks like he's giving her a hug. It really does, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. By the position. That's so cute. So if you are interested in trying to help this animal, the best thing I think we can suggest is to probably use your Google machine powers to find some of these nature preserves and find out if there are ways, either through letter writing campaigns or with money, that you can help with the not-so-giant red pandas. Yeah. Yeah. This has been Aminos, Aminos, Aminos from around the world. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you look like you wanted, you were doing your old man impersonation. You were about to say something about the Google machine comment I made. Yeah, you, it's the interwebs. The interwebs? The person who has this invitation, she does. She's got, she's a skinny girl with long arms, so she has her arms up in the air and bent way out and pointing and, and it imitates, makes a mocking imitation of me and my oldness. Well, thank you very much for your segment, sweetheart. Shall we get back into the soccer? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Ah, uh, yes, thank you for the reminder, kitties, that even though last week's episode was Twitter-fied regarding all the match previews, that we still need to do an audio pad podcast recap of all of last week's matches. Let's get to it. Friday last week, match number one from the NWSL, number B, Portland Thorns took on number one, Washington Spirit, and Portland went back on top of the league with a resounding 4-2 win. Uh, the Thorns, their MVP, Sophia Smith, probably the lead MVP, at least in my opinion, she had a hat trick of goals. Washington star Ashley Hatch had a goal. Portland again up to number one. And Washington, at the time of recording, had dropped all the way down to fourth place. Match number B from Aruba's Division D'Honor, number one RCA, took on number three Dakota, and that was postponed. Match number three was from the CONCACAF Gold Cup group stage. USA, USA. They took on Jamaica and barely squeaked out a 1-1 draw with a moderately late goal. Match number four, Colombia, Categoria Primera A, the Apertura Playoff Final, second leg of the home and away, two-legged tie, number B, Millenarios versus number three, Atletico Nacional, and it went to penalty kicks after ending in regular time plus at 1-1, but Millenarios came out on top 4-3, congratulations to them. Match number five, our feature match for Major League Soccer, number nine in the East Charlotte, took on number 10, Club de Foot Montreal, they played to a nil-nil draw that actually moved uh, Montreal up to 8th and dropped Charlotte down to 10th. So things are really packed down there. Goal differential is a really big deal. Match number 6, uh, the 2022-23 Liga MX Championship Final went to Tigres 1-2. to two. They topped Pachuca. Match number 7, from the Solomon Islands, Esli, number 1, Juaneago United, took on number B, Honiara City. The result, Honiara City with a 0-1 win. They, just like Portland earlier, moved up to the top of the table. We love seeing that kind of movement. That's why we follow these great races. I dropped Juan Ayagu down to third place and for the moment out of an OFC championship uh, championship slot position. Tuesday, match number eight for the S League of Singapore. We had number one, Albayrex Migata taking on number B, Tampines Rovers. Nagata were the visitors. They played to a 1-1 draw. Four Rovers, guy we said to look for, Boris uh, Kapitovich had a goal, penalty kick. And as for Nigata, they had a player that got a straight red at the end of the first half, so obviously that really affected things. But nothing was affected in the table. No change there. Match number nine from the UEFA Champions League preliminary round. Uh, we really didn't follow any one particular match there. Just wanted to let you know it was going on. Match number 10. 
From Conmebol's Copa Libertadores group stage, we had Internacional from Brazil, playing host to Independiente Medellin from Colombia, and no surprise here, the favorites won Internacional 3-1. Their star, Luciano Ponce, had a goal. They win the group, and Independiente Medellin, they are out at number three, so they will drop down to the secondary tournament in Conmebol called the Copa Sudamericana. And now your bonus matches with explanations coming later. The route of the week was a Sunday match from the Chilean Primera División. Number B, Huachipato took on number 16 last place, uh, Magallanes. That match got postponed. Apparently they knew just how bloody it was going to be. Wanted to make sure they had more cleanup equipment on hand or something. Your most meaningless match, the world that you voted in, was a Saturday match from Fiji's National League. Number 6, Bach took on number 5, Suva. And it was Suva getting road win 1-2. That moved them up to third place. Maybe not so meaningless after all. One more spot and they will be in position to get an OFC Champions League berth. And then finally, your match of Disappointed from the Uzbekistan Super League on Saturday. Number 14, last place, Tehran, took on number 13, Kizilkum, and they played appropriately to a nil-nil draw, although that one point was good enough to move Kizilkum out of the relegation zone for the moment and, number, and up to number 12. Congratulations, sort of, but you're still super disappointing. And that concludes your recap of last week's matches. Now let's get back into the upcoming week's matches with... Match number six. Oh, so easily a record for us. This is the final one for you Friday, then we'll actually get into some other things in the weekend match number six. We're back stateside, our feature Major League Soccer match. And by the way, a reminder, the top nine from each of the two conferences, East and West, will be going to the playoffs. The conference winners and the next best two in the overall aggregate table will get to participate, amongst others, in the CONCACAF Champions Cup, the new name for the CONCACAF Champions League. Your matchup from the Eastern Conference number one. Cincinnati. Oh, does that sound strange to be saying after after their start in Major League Soccer a couple years back? Versus number B in the East, New England Revolution. Currently, Cincinnati lead them by seven. New England, in turn, lead Nashville by one. The series between these two, as you would expect if you follow the game, much has been all New England with a 5-2-1 and one record. When they played in New England earlier this season, the Revs only managed a 1-1 draw, though. You could catch this one, 730 7.30 Uh, Eastern time on Apple TV with Major League Soccer pass there. Cincinnati, who up until last year, their mascot ought to be the Wooden Spoons. I'm not sure they've really got one just beyond mentioning their orange and blue colors. Last year, they did much better, though. Finished number five in the East and made it all the way to the conference semifinals. Easily the best season that they've had in their short Major League Soccer history. This year, pretty well balanced and uh, getting a little bit shinier on defense. They only allow one goal per match that is good for being in the top four within all of Major League, or excuse me, not all of Major League Soccer, but the Eastern Conference. They've only got the fourth best goal differential. Even with such a big lead, I've got a hard time thinking that somebody won't catch them. I think Cincinnati's best hope is for them to just keep playing consistently and for the teams in the second, third, and fourth spots in the table to kind of uh, cannibalize each other. Key players to look for in this one. In goal, 23-year-old Roman Salentano. I did some digging. Couldn't find any European transfer rumors for him yet, but boy, it sure won't be long. He is second best in the league in clean sheets with nine. He's also got the third best save percentage in the league. The team MVP, though, at the very least in the outfield, has been Luciano Acosta, their Argentinian attacking midfielder. He's well in the top ten in scoring with nine goals on the year, and why not? He was an all-star last year following up on that great season. Team's current form, 
their nil three loss at number nine dc united a little bit of a surprise there that snapped an amazing 14 match unbeaten streak and now new england last year they finished only 10th in the east so they have managed to turn things back around get to closer to their usual rarefied airs they won the supporter shield the regular season's best title just two years ago 2021 five different times they have won the east uh the most reason other than their supporter shield was 2014 last year they did get to participate in the CONCACAF Champions League now cup based on their 2021 performance and they made it to the quarterfinals that was their first appearance in many years and tied for the best that they've ever done their defense is really barely average in the east but the offense is a little better top four in that regard getting one and three quarters goals per match top five goal differential like cincinnati i have a hard time seeing this team hang on really to be perfectly honest either unless they can shore up that defense just a little bit they're giving up close to one and a quarter goals per match and the low scoring eastern conference eh, that's kind of a lot Key players to look for. Once again, we're in goal. Will this be a defensive affair? Second best in save percentage on the year, 77% on those. Wow. Uh, Jordi, or Jordi rather, uh, Petrovic. He is from Serbia, just 23 years old. He is number one in saves per 90 minutes. He is the only goalie making four plus saves uh, per 90. I'm not sure if that says more about him or maybe some of the defenders in front of him, but he's getting the job done in any case. Manchester United may make a bid for him soon from what I've been reading, but he says very strongly that he wants to stay in Major League Soccer for right now. I wonder if they won't snap him up and then simply loan him right back to where he is. Keep rights on him. Number nine in the entire league in goals plus assists, seven goals, four assists is Bobby Wood, their striker. Bit of a surprise year from him. He's been good in the past, but he's getting a little bit older. Uh, he's played for Hamburger over in Germany and Union Berlin as well, which is now very good, and made almost 50 uh, USMNT appearances between 2013 and 2018. But their MVP, and uh, he's been an MVP candidate for the whole league before, Carl's Gill, their Spanish attacking midfielder, seven goals, three assists, and wow, you don't want to get anywhere near him if you can help it if you've got the ball. He's got a 90% tackle success rate and not for lack of volume just brutal team's current form they are unbeaten in six and have won three straight although it's worth noting no clean sheets in any of those wins match number seven Onward at last, we march into Sunday, and we're going to stay in the States and take our second and final look at a lower league team here in the United States, USL League Two. This is a four-tier league, considered semi-professional, 17 divisions across the country, depending on the size and how good they are. I think in general, either one or two teams from each of them will go to the playoffs. The matchup we're going to look at, and I'm really biased here for this one because I'm an Iowa native, and I lived in the Des Moines area. It's not where I grew up, but... I did live there for a few years, so I am a big fan of number B right now, Des Moines Menace. They're playing host to number one in the division, Chicago City. They play in the Central Conference, the Heartland Division. There are seven clubs in this one, and I believe partially because Des Moines has been so good, uh, they get to send two to the playoffs. These will probably be those two, but they're still looking for a title. They are tied on points. Chicago City lead on head-to-head tiebreaker right now and they have a match in hand 
When they played earlier this season, Chicago City won 3-1. to one. But let's see how they can fare in uh, Des Moines. Little Chicago, as it's sometimes called. This is a team that's looking to move up. And I mean way up. Jump two divisions up to the USL Championship in 2024. Not quite sure that's finalized yet. There might be some stadium things to work out. Not quite sure. They won the USL PDL, which was the League 2 predecessor league in 2005. And then they won this league in its current form, League 2, in 2021 not just the division the whole national title last year they were in a division called the deep north they won that and then they made it all the way to the conference final couldn't quite bring home another national trophy but boy did they get close they've won a total of three division titles they are 8-0-1 on the year so that chicago city loss is their only dropped points and really statistically they look like the best team in the league they're getting three and two-thirds goals per match and only giving up not quite a half a goal per match that's number one in both regards key player to look for in this one team scoring leader with six on the year is elliot goldthorpe and again team's current form well what can you say they haven't dropped anybody or any points except to chicago city and now we will talk about them the visitors this time they finished in third place in this division last year this year a perfect 8-0-0 they can't do worse than second so they have already qualified for the national playoffs somehow i don't think that means they're going to let up here they are second best on offense and defense not way behind des moines in either regard key player to look for here team leading scorer with five I've netted on the season is Mark Torreas. Match number eight. We're off to Africa for the first time, I believe, what will be only time this particular podcast episode, and we are going to Kenya for their FA Cup final. It's trophy time there. The two teams that have made the final are both in the top league, so it's worth talking about that league. It is not a ranked one currently in the CAF, the uh, African Confederation, but it was last year. They ranked the top roughly 60% of their league, so that gives you an idea of the strength of Kenya's FA and these teams compared to the other ones in the nations around them. Good, but hardly great. Nevertheless, it's a trophy match, and that means it's important where it's being played, and so it's important to us, especially because the winner will get to go to next year's Confederation Cup, which is their equivalent of the Europa League. Last year, for some reason, Kenya did not send a team. I'm assuming they will this year, though I guess I don't know why I assume that. In any event, your matchup is Tusker versus Kakamega Homeboys. Insert your own joke there. We'll talk about Tusker first. Blessedly, they are known as the Brewers. In fact, they are sponsored by East African Breweries, and when they were first founded, they were actually known as Kenya Breweries. Tusker, with an elephant on the label, is a very popular brand of beer in this country and region. Tusker has won this event four different times, most recently 2016. Uh, More impressively, even, they've won 13 Premier League titles, and up until this year, they were the two-time defending champions. Historically, they're the second most successful team in the country, and yet, for some reason, they've only gone to the Champions League once. Uh, They got as far as the second qualifying round that particular time when they went. When they lost the uh, PL title this year, it was by only one little point to Gore Mahia. They were a pretty well-balanced team with a top four offense, top five defense, third best overall goal differential. These are going to be your favorites on this day. Team's current form, 1-1-1 one, one, and one in their last three with a very nice 6-3 and three goal differential. 
And now Cockamega Homeboys. Uh, Cockamega, by the way, is a city of about 2 million people, about a dozen miles north of the equator. It's named for the tribal Luhya word for pinch, which uh, is how Westerners, they would describe it, would eat their ugali, which is kind of a, a starchy, thick, uh, porridge that they would pinch it instead of eating it in a slightly different way. They were trying to imitate their African counterparts, but not quite getting it right. The club was founded in 2010 and they finished second in the league last year. They should have been promoted uh, after 2013, but mysteriously got deducted three points that particular year. They were awarded to a club called Shabana, which just happens to be one that the club FA Cup president supported. I think they've had some FA corruption in that area in recent years. 12 points, in fact, were also deducted mysteriously from other clubs in very similar fashion that particular year. But they're at the top flight now, and they finished number eight out of the 18 teams. A little bit below average on offense, just getting over one goal per match. They had a defense that was a little bit above average. Again, these are your underdogs today, if not by massive leaps and bounds. Team's current form, 2-1-0, and so they're in good form, with a uh, somewhat low scoring, but still nice 5-3 and goal differential. Match number nine. After a weekend of match tracking like that, you deserve not one, but two days off this particular week. We will pick things up, match number nine, on Wednesday at the CONCACAF Gold Cup. Yeah, it's the last match of the group stage, and the United States is going to be playing Trinidad and Tobago. And you know what? You're going to be able to get all the information you need, virtually anything else you're listening to. So instead, we're going to use this as our culture break. And usually this is when I do something food-related, but I've eaten somewhat recently between the segments. So instead, let's talk about a type of music from Trinidad and Tobago. After all, this show is our excuse to learn the world as we learn about soccer. I was completely unfamiliar with this genre called Rapso, R-A-P-S-O. It's a uh, compound word, basically, sort of a portmanteau uh, rap, which means exactly what you think it means. And so, as in soca music, uh, so Rapso kind of grew out of Calypso and soca music both. Uh, But the really big thing is the lyrics. There's a lot of chant speak. This comes out of the African uh, griot tradition. Uh, the sort of famous phrase about this is the power of the word in the rhythm of the word. And then more recently, it's been fused a lot with American hip hop. This is a musical movement that came about specifically in Trinidad uh, out of the social unrest there in the 1970s. So you had a lot of socio-political lyrics involved black power ideology and also a lot of stuff that related to or grew out of sort of uh, union growth there. Uh, Now that a lot of time has gone by, it's got a lot more American hip-hop influence and is just as likely to involve uh, boast lyrics as it is political or social commentary within them, although that's still a lot. Now, again, this started in the 1970s, and one of the big names was Lancelot Lane. We'll hear from him in a little bit. And then another wave came later in the 70s with a uh, kind of led by a woman named Cheryl Byron, who is now known as the mother of Rapso. She was starting to perform it in Calypso tents, which are carnival settings in uh, community centers, bowling alleys, uh, literal tents, wherever it is that the music is being played, which was usually Calypso or Soka, she was going in and trying to do this kind of music. She was very much scorned for it, but nevertheless, it led to a whole nother wave here in the States 
for this particular genre. And then it blossomed in the 1980s. And that's actually when the word rap sub became the actual term. There was one more uh, strong movement in the 90s uh, out of the East Coast, New York City. And that's uh, really when it became a lot more hip hop influenced. So now we may not know a lot more about these two teams, but again, you can get that anywhere. But we know a little bit more about a type of music I'd never been familiar with before. And let's listen to a little bit of uh, the biggest song from Lancelot Lane here before we move on to match number 10. And if a man want to set all standards for you to follow, to hear where you say. No and way. if he persists to brighten your head and lighten your bread, you're living dead. Where you say? No now way. Now you're coming out to play. Who say? Or uniting right away. That's so if a man want to set all standards for you to follow, to hear where you say. No if way. you exist just for drinking corn or badging your head, you go heavy like lead. And match number 10, we're done. Finally. If you felt a little bit cheated there, I apologize, but I truly do believe you can get the U.S. information just about anywhere. And that's the time of show we always do, the culture break. But hey, you're still going to get some CONCACAF Gold Cup right here in match number 10, a different Wednesday match from a different group. So first, a little bit about the tournament. The remaining teams have been divided into groups of four. They're playing a single round robin in Fort Lauderdale. The top two from each stage will advance. And again, this is the last match of the group stage. In the group that we're going to look at, number B, Haiti, are taking on number four, Honduras. Mexico is in this group. They won their first two matches. They can't do worse than second. They have already qualified for the next stage. Everyone else, including guests, Qatar's national team, are still alive for playoff spots. Here's a look at the uh, table, minus Mexico. Haiti, second place, three points with a plus one goal differential. Qatar have a single point. They're at a minus one goal differential. Honduras also one point, negative four on the goal differential. By the way, you can catch this match nine o'clock in the evening Eastern time on FS2 or Unimas. Haiti, let's talk about them first. They're the home team on paper. Uh, the Grenadiers, or Grenadiers, I suppose it might be in French. They are the sixth rated team in CONCACAF currently, rated number 87 worldwide by FIFA. Best they've ever done was a decade ago. They had climbed up to number 38. They've only been to the World Cup once, and it has been a minute. That was all the way back in 1974. That was on the heels of winning this event in 1973. In the modern era here, 2019, they made the semifinals. That's the best they've ever done. Last iteration of this tournament, 2021, they made the group stage. In their last completed tournament, they went undefeated in Nations League. They were in League B, sort of the secondary grouping, and so they'll be promoted back to level A once again. There they had the second best offense, or rather here in this event, I should say, second best offense in the group, uh, only the third best defense. They're giving up a full two goals per match, and that is troubling. Key players to look for. Uh, one of them is a big USA connection. Derek Etienne, probably one of their two or three best players. He plays left wing for Atlanta United. He's actually U.S. born, so he's got family lineage uh, tracing back to Haiti and why he's eligible there. Spent the heart of his career with Columbus Crew. He has made 40 national team caps for Haiti and has eight goals. 
Uh, MLS this year has been a bit of a tough uh, road to hoe so far. He doesn't have any goals and just one assist so far in MLS. Their biggest offensive threat really anyway is uh, Dukens uh, Nazon. He is a striker, plays for a Bulgarian powerhouse, at least at that level, CSKA Sofia. Wolverhampton of the now Premier League had him several years back, but I think they were in the second division then, and in any case, they always loaned him out. He has scored a team-leading 27 goals all-time in international play in just 51 appearances. Team's current form, uh, between this and Nations League, they have won all three of their matches this calendar year before their loss, of course, to Mexico. And now Honduras, the nickname, a little confusing for me. They are known as the Catrachos. I'm not sure about the Spanish. In Portuguese, I read that it means ratchets. So I'm ratcheted up like the energy or like tools. I, I guess I'm really not sure. I can tell you more certainly, though, they have been to the World Cup three different times, most recently 2014. Alas, they have yet to win a single match once they've gotten to the brightest stage there. They won this event all the way back in 1981. Uh, their modern best was the semifinals. They did that a couple of times, 2005 and 2009, earlier this century. 2021, they made the quarterfinals. So this is a team that is used to advancing, and I think that will serve them well here in a tough matchup. They are the ninth-rated team in CONCACAF currently and rated number 81 uh, by FIFA. So this is uh, – this For a neutral site, this is a really even match, I think, overall, even though it seems like Haiti are in a little bit better form. Best they've ever been in FIFA was number 20 back in 2001. They qualified for this event by finishing runners-up in their Nations League group. They were in a League A group, so you got to advance to this just by finishing in the top two. Uh, they are 0-1-1, though, in this event, have not been in great form. Worst offense and defense, just a 1-5 goal differential. The best player that they probably have is Brian Acosta, who we talked about earlier in the show during a different match. But their biggest scoring threat is probably Jerry Bankston. Uh, he's their striker, veteran, 36 years old, plays for home country domestic league team Olympia. 22 goals in 66 appearances. Pretty good. 2012 through 15, New England Revs fans will remember him well. He was a designated player for y'all. Team's current form, they're only 1-1-3 one, one, in 2023, and that only win was the first of all those matches, and it was merely friendly, albeit a nice road win, 0-1 against El Salvador. Bring forth the bonus matches! And now we come to the true end of our podcast road, the third and final bonus match, a first versus last place matchup somewhere in the world we dramatically call the route, 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 route of, 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 of the week, 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 week. And at long last, it is time to introduce our special guest. And so... This time, you can't blame confusion about us being soccer news instead of soccer new because my phone number didn't change. With us once again from St. Louis Public Radio, it is Jonathan All. Hello, hello, hello. Did I not send you? Wait, were you the one that I was leveraging uh, 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 compromising photos to be on the first time? I can neither confirm nor deny that those photos are accurate. That might have been the guy from Cyprus. There might not have been photos. I can't remember how I threatened you to get on the show. <laughs> 
but here we are. You know, you know where my kids go to school. That's true. I do know where your kids go to school, but they're old enough to beat me up. So I'll see. How yeah, they and they have been for a while. You kind of have a glass jaw. <laughs> yeah, I take one on the button. It's all over. Speaking yeah. of taking one out of the button, segue. The route of the week, the bonus match, uh, because you're our official St. Louis correspondent, excuse me, is the one that you have graciously offered to help us out with. It is a first versus last place match uh, from some top flight league in the world, or in this case for Major League Soccer, we cheat a little bit and we have first versus last place in, uh, you know, in the Western Conference. It is still... Some would say somewhat amazingly, after all, they are an expansion team, St. Louis City, and they are taking on the struggling, woeful Colorado Rapids. Your initial thoughts. Okay, so do do you want my thoughts as a fan, or do you want my thoughts as a poorly educated football analyst? Either one will sound more knowledgeable than us. You are familiar <laughs> with the basics of the show, I'm sure, at this point. We're new okay. we're new for a reason. Yeah, tell me as a fan. What do you think? That sounds fun. Oh, this is a trap game. Oh, my gosh. I hate this game. I hate it. <laughs> it feels like a trap game. We are supposed to win. It's supposed to be the route of the week. But there are so many things that just make me think that this can go so wrong. The last time we played Colorado was a 1-1 draw in Colorado. Right. Um. So that's one thing that gets me a little bit concerned. The other thing is all oh, the injuries, the injuries. Um, our our best striker, Yao Klaus, still out. Our best midfielder, Edward Leuven, still out. Uh, two of our defenders, Parker and Nilsson, had nagging injuries, and they're playing that whole game. They're like, well, we don't know. and We're not going to know until an hour before uh, whether they're going to play or not. And then Thomas Ostrak. A great midfielder who's just been a, a, a kind of a scary behind the scenes scoring threat. He will be out because of yellow card accumulations. So I'm looking at all of the, we, we, there could be, you know, there could be five really, really good players who aren't, aren't going to be uh, suiting up. And that makes me very scared. Um, Colorado is excellent with long balls and diagonals, which is not, what we're good at defending. So I'm, I'm concerned about that. I mean, cause you know, if you look at when, when, when city gets beat, it's when someone absorbs the press counters really hard with a long ball sticks ones through, absor- uh, uh, you know, misses the offside flags and they, and they score. So, so as a fan, I'm like, Oh, this is a trap game. We're going to lose. And it's going to be horrible. I want to ask you about a worry I have of my own with all these injuries. I was aware of some, but not, not others, particularly on the defensive side, St. Louis as an expansion team, they have obviously overperformed compared to expectations so well. And I've had, you know, some star performances have worked well as a team I don't know enough to even make a reasonable guess. Is there some chance that St. Louis's weakness, if they have one, might severely lie on the bench? Are they particularly oh, yeah. thin as an expansion side compared to other teams? Well, that that actually is a great segue to my my soccer analyst, my poorly educated soccer analyst hat, and that is that City's going to walk away with this, and I'm going to tell you why because uh, last week they called up Sam Adenarin who was on loan with San Antonio and they recalled the loan they put him up front and he scored twice against San Jose 
So, um, you know, they, they, because with Klaus out, you know, he's been out for months and originally they said it was going to be, you know, four weeks and then it was longer and longer and longer. And now he's not going to be I back. I didn't realize he squad. wasn't back yet. No, no. Yeah. He's been out, you know, it was a, it's a quad injury and I know those can be really tricky. Um, but yeah, he's been out this whole time and scoring goals has always been the challenge. Uh, Giacchini, who's been playing up front, has looked very good, but you can't do it with just one. I think MLS is not the kind of league where you can really, you know, put all of your eggs in one striker's uh, right foot basket, so to speak, um, and um, or left foot. But I, I think that that uh, the, the the recall of Denneran was, I mean, it looked genius against San Jose. So I think he could be a real factor. He didn't even practice with the team. He just kind of showed up and they they gave him a kit and said go out there and he scored twice. Now you said um, he was on loan. Has he has he been with this team? Uh, was he with the team earlier in the year? Yes, uh, briefly. Um, and but they, they they and then they sent him out on loan and uh, and they recalled him and oh man did he look good? He looked good. So you've got that. You've got that that um, that city SC. I still believe um, has. Uh, uh, the best goalie in MLS in Roman Berkey, I, I will I, I will die on that hill. Uh, the guy is a brick wall. He's just great. He's um, number so one got... on saves per ninety. He's the only guy getting more than four. I don't know if that speaks. I assume that speaks to his abilities and uh, not just that the other defenders are letting a little bit more through than they should. Berkey has looked good all season. Yeah, he's he's one of the uh, designated players for City and worth every penny. He's he's great. The other thing is Colorado is not also without the, the injury bug as well. Um, Alec Gersbeck, Abraham Rodriguez, and Jack Price are all going to be out. Those are some pretty good players on their side that are going to be out as well. Um, and Colorado has just looked horrible. I think they're like 9 or 10 winless. Um, so they, uh, they're, they're definitely struggling and not out to a good season. So the analyst side of me thinks, yeah, this is going to be a, a city walk. Uh, they're, they're, it's going to be, uh, it's, it's going to be brutal. They're going to win easily. Um, but then the fan side of me is just still crying about this being the trap game. I, it, well, you know what, to actually hopefully make you feel better about the, the, you know, the trap game portion of it. Yes. It's a game they should win, but you're also talking about a St. Louis team. That's only, you know, one, one out of their last, I believe five matches, so I yeah. would think at this point that they're not, uh, and then with those injury bugs, that they're not taking anything or anyone for granted right now. True. And I think that, that I mean, they'll be at home and man, that, that stadium is just electric. It is a great stadium. There's huge support. It sells out every game, you, you know, in their first year. Um, it's, it's really been amazing. The other thing is I think that, that, that because they're going on the road for two after this one, I really think that this side, I think City is looking at this as a must win uh, because they really need to get three points. I think uh, well, one point is not going to cut it. They need they need to walk out of there with three facing the, you know, being at home against the last place if team in the conference. If you're talking winning the conference, absolutely. Yeah. And well, that, I mean, that, that gap has been bridged too by uh, LAFC. They now only went lead on total wins, I believe, for a tiebreaker. Well, yeah, and LA and LAFC's got a game in hand too, so um, they 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 still have an opportunity to add points and pull ahead, uh, you know, at any time, you know, when they make up that that game that was missed. So, I, you know, I think that 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 
City SC definitely probably sees this as a must-win game, not just for winning the conference, but also just for the momentum, you know, and and for knowing that that if Leuven and, and Klaus are both going to be out for the rest of the month, which is the projection right now, they're going to need a whole bunch of people to step up. They need a lot of people to uh, to play hard and to find their roles in 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 this side. And I love Adenarin and Giacchini up front. I think they're going to be very strong. Uh, so I think that's all very good. On the other hand, Colorado, it's every game's a must win for them because they just look so bad. It's a good and, thing it's not relegation for them because they and the Galaxy yeah. are like five or six points behind the rest of the conference. I mean, you could call it a must win, but it's like they need to go on a must streak, basically. Yeah. Begin to flirt with the idea of the playoffs. I would say for them and the as we, you know, we're well over the 40% mark of the season now, I would say for Colorado and uh, and the Galaxy, it's it's all but done, even with nine teams going to the playoffs this year. Or am I being a little too harsh? No, I think that, I mean, the, the, the Western Conference, I mean, if you want to talk about Western Conference teams that are not in the playoff positions right now who are threatening, I think there are two or three um, different sides that I think would – would be much stronger uh, contenders to kind of come out of nowhere and, and get one of those. I, I think sporting KC, I think Kansas city is a much better team than their table position uh, would suggest. They've certainly um, been playing, been in pretty good form lately for the most part, not in their last yeah. match. But. And I think Minnesota has a lot of talent on their side that, that, uh, that could break through, um, you know, and, and, I, and, and Minnesota also, um, I, you know, th- I think they they're they're tied with KC, I think, right now, but they've got three games in hand. So, you know, I think that there's a lot of opportunity for them uh, to to make it up. So, I mean, not only does Colorado have to do a ton, but they'd also have to hope that the Portland, Kansas City, Minnesota doesn't do much either. And I, I don't know that that's a good bet. I want to go back to Minnesota just because I just because I feel like it, and this is you know I don't care that they're not in the match because it's something <laughs> I am re- remembering that either your bachelor's or your master's is in music theory. Correct. All right, so um, here's why I, I don't have a favorite MLS team. Try to remain uh, fairly you know un- unbiased. Cincinnati is the closest one to where we are, and that's wonderful. But uh, Minnesota, I don't care that they have or have had a coach with a connection to whichever Manchester team it is back in England. Mm-hmm. They're they're copying the Wonderwall thing and the, the Oasis song, which, by the way, Oasis is the most overrated duo band, whatever you want to call them, of all time. If I want to listen to that nasal of singing, singing, I can go to my country music job and get that from any number of artists. I don't need it from Liam Gallagher or anybody <laughs> on the other side of the freaking pond. Fair so play. I have, put in, I have put a hex on them. For that reason, and there's only one thing they can do to lift it, and this is where I'm looking for your thoughts. Rather than going with something from across the pond, why not take something from your own, you know, geographic, you know, musical archive, if you will, and and pick a Prince song, uh, Sexy MF or Cream. Those are my two. If they don't pick oh, no. those two teams, no. I'm not lifting the hex. No, no. I, I, I Okay, I, I agree that they need to do something with Prince, but, yes. and, and maybe I'm, you just, you're going for deeper cuts, but I'm saying that, that the, 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 the choice is either uh kiss or raspberry beret. I understand those, but I went and saw, I, I looked up the video 
uh, for Sexy MF, and he's got a gold revolver slash microphone. It's all one hunk of metal. It's not even really delineated out. You have to look carefully to even see what on earth he's dealing with. Yeah. And, and that that alone, I feel like. But you're the music theory major, and so that's why I wanted to present that you know to you. I understand why Sexy MF may not be something that they can play over the speakers there unless they were to record a family-friendly uh, cut themed for the team. But you're okay. Going- so what what, what I'd say is- what what it, they need to take a page out of English uh, EFL uh, fan lore, and what they need to do is a supporter group needs to do Sexy MF. Um, uh, you know, with uh, unauthorized. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I still want to make a case for cream mode, by the way, because you just yeah, okay. the goals, goals, get on top, goals, something, something else, goals, something, something, whatever. And then the linchpin, goals, shapoogie, yeah. <laughs> You're that, that really does have kind of a, a scholarly kind of feel to it. I, I, yeah, I agree. I agree. All right. Well, but no. I understand wanting I, to play the hits. You know, okay, okay. No, no, no. It's got to be Raspberry Beret. Okay. Um, and because Raspberry Beret kind of has that blue moon feel to it, where you know, uh, you know, uh, so I think that that that's kind of got that nice soccer. Yeah. It's not a drinking song. Thing. It's a little fast paced, but you can swing to it. It's a little quicker. Yeah. Piano man, but yeah, I can see where you're coming from. Yeah. There. Um, and kiss just because oh my gosh just the funk and 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 the kissy noises how do yeah. how do you how do you yeah. but then you, but then you uh then you end up answering a question with a question if you being prince okay well here here's another question prince or tom jones kiss what are you going with just generally uh, apart from soccer where are you going oh uh prince uh, nine, really okay oh yeah i think yeah. i understand i i can defend either side but i think it's a valid i think it's a valid question i don't think it's that easy a call tom jones uh, especially a live version <laughs> i mean i do love tom jones uh for tom sure jones, <laughs> that's delightful and so, if those of you who had noob doing a Tom Jones impersonation on your bingo card, winner, winner. Uh, All right. Is there any toasted, chance- toasted ravioli dinner to get a St. Louis uh, culinary treat? All right. All right. Uh, Ed, Edward uh, Ed Leuven, is there any yeah. chance? It, you mentioned earlier people being out for a month. Is I had read that he and I don't know about Klaus were. Uh, that Leuven was slated to be back in very early July. Is the projection for one or both of these guys now uh, the end of July, or did you mean the end of June? No, the end of July. Oh now, goodness! I don't think I don't think we're going to see either of them uh, before the end of July. Gotcha. So hopefully they're back in time to have a, a good lengthy tune-up for the uh, presumed playoffs, and then go from there. Yeah, me too. I hope so. My goodness. Now you had uh, expressed uh, concern over, or not concern, you had actually been excited over the fact that they seem to be able to change tactics depending on the personnel they have and who they're yeah. playing. Um, the losing skid that they were on or the winless skid, do you feel like they were stuck in their ways only trying to play one way or where do you think the downfall was for those several games? I think they, I think they have to have two up front. I think that's what it comes down to. And I think they were trying to do too much with one up front, and uh, 
and where, where they kind of broke the log jam was putting two up front and then, um, and then kind of dropping Leuven back into an almost defensive midfielder. I mean, now there's, it's all very squishy and Leuven, you know, had all the authority in the world to move up and he still was scoring and he was still a threat. Sure, the manager lets him play where, kind of move in the field where he wants. (laughs) Yeah, but starting from a more defensive position, I think is, is one of the things that helped. But now Leuven's out, so I don't, it's going to be very interesting to see what they do uh, with the midfield. Um, you know, uh, I think uh, Blom is, is very strong and maybe he's going to take that role. I mean, look, without Klaus and without Leuven, this is this is a team that can make the playoffs. With both of them back and strong, it's a team that could go deep into the playoffs. Yeah, so this is a match where at home that no matter what the position of the team – they really need to get three points out of this if yeah. they're going to uh, continue to keep pace, sort of match in hand aside with LAFC, yeah. because LAFC may not be quite as strong as last year, but it's probably close enough for horseshoes and hand grenades. At least that's how it's looking. Definitely. I, I'd i agree with that. I'm not looking. Uh, LAFC is coming uh, in, uh, in August, I think, to St. Louis, and I'm not looking forward to that. I mean, I'm looking forward to that game, but uh, it's going to be a rough one for sure. All right. Well, for those who are interested in the Colorado side, I'll give what little I have. They're the worst offense in the West. The defense is, you know, not terrible giving up less than one and a half, except their ordinal ranking is still, you know, well in the bottom half for that. But St. Louis could probably get one goal, have Berkey kind of stand on his head and probably get a one nil win out of this. The real threat, I think, from Colorado is Brian Acosta, and I might overvalue central midfielders a little bit. You know, he's not going to be a scoring threat. He doesn't even, he should have more assists than he does. He's very on with his crosses and any offense they are going to get. He's the guy that brings the ball up the field. If somebody else gives it away, he's got an excellent tackle rate. Is stopping Colorado as simple as controlling the middle of the field? Mm, maybe. I think that, that again, what I would do if I was Colorado is really try to do the long balls is it because St. Louis loves to press so much. If you could, if Acosta can hang back enough, you know, get, get a couple of balls and scoot them through and, you know, and get, get, get a, a forward alone um, without being off sides. That is their best chance at scoring is to, to absorb that press, get an interception, do a long ball, and, and have a quick strike. Try to get into I, a one-on-two or one-on-one situation with Berkey. Yes. I think that that is, that is their best bet. That's the thing that I'm scared of. I don't – middle of the field, wow. I just – I don't know that that's going to be that. I don't think that's going to be where Colorado wins this. I think it's – unless it's like a, a, a very well-timed interception, um, and it, it's going to be a crime of opportunity for Colorado to win for sure. Well, they're certainly catching St. Louis as, as in as good a timing as they probably could just because of the injuries. But this is this is a Rapids team that shouldn't be able to go on the road to Major League Soccer and really have much, you know, have much success. So I think it's I, I'm more inclined to go along with the uh, analysts, uh, the analyst side of your Jekyll and Hyde personality <laughs> here and, and, and say that three points is on the horizon this weekend for for SLC. 
You know, I'll, I sure hope so, and I'll even make a prediction. I think City wins at three one. Three one, interesting. Okay, yep. I I was going to go a little bit lower scoring because Colorado's defense isn't that porous, and I was going to say simply a one zero win. But maybe that call up from uh, was it San Antonio? Did you say yeah. it again? Yes, Sam Adenarin. Adenarin, Uh, thank you. I I like him a lot. We will watch for Adenarin. We will be watching for Acosta on the other side, and we'll see if uh, the noob or the uh, actual somewhat knowledgeable guy who's actually in the greater, greater St. Louis area. (laughs) (laughs) I know you're not quite in Exerbia, that it's a little further further out than that in Rolla, but again, close enough. Uh, it, it feels it feels very close sometimes. All right, so whoever gets the score uh, closer should uh, should St. Louis win. I say the next time we get together in Paducah has to buy lemonades. <laughs> lemonades? Well, if it's a Sunday, yes. But if it's yeah, another but, day of the week, let's, Sunday, let's go with something stronger. You can only get the lemonade and go to yeah. the, and go to the quilting museum with it, open container. Well, Jonathan, thank you very much for joining us out of your, uh, cause you're still with uh St. Louis public radio. Yeah. Not, not in a sporting capacity. What is it you do for them? Uh, I'm the newscast editor and Rolla correspondent. So be sure to look up Jonathan on Twitter, support anything he wants you to uh, support as long as it's legal. I don't know how Elon, I don't think Elon Musk uh, polices these things anymore. So we're waiting to see Jonathan's dark side on there. I'm a small fish, man. thank you very much for joining us again on our show we appreciate it totally my pleasure could you be the most meaningless match in the world yes you could you're so boring Even though the song would require an explanation, maybe for newer listeners first and foremost, thank you very much to everybody who votes in our Twitter polls, where you can find me as Soccer Noob USA to help us determine what the content is going to be for the bonus matches. You vote from amongst the candidate teams. Dreamy content is manifest. And we're heading off to Mongolia's Premier League for the most meaningless match in the world. We're not here to make fun of them, mostly, but to celebrate them in song. Because who else? What other podcast would have the heart to talk about two teams in the middle of a league, especially the Mongolian Premier League, which is ranked number 40 out of 47 AFC leagues. That's the Asian Football Confederation. Their champion does not get to go to the Champions League. They go to a secondary tournament called the AFC Cup. The other end of the table, one team will get relegated. One team will have to play in a relegation playoff match against the second-place second-division team to see who will play in D1 next year. These two teams don't have to worry about that at all because they are smack dab in the middle of the standings, hence the existential crisis. And this is the last match of the league's triple round robin season. And this is where it gets fun for Noob. Number four, Howd versus number five, Tuv Buganud. Capital T-U-V, lowercase B-U-G-A-N-U-U-D is how it is uh, Romanized, and that looks so much like Booganu that it is time for a dance break. I'm so white, I'm clear. Oh, okay, that probably means I need to stop the dance break. All right, very good then. We can pretend that didn't happen if we want to. I might.
All right, currently how they lead to Buganud by 18 points. Yeah, there's a massive break in the table here. They trail number one Ulan Batar by 20, your runaway winners of this year's league. Meanwhile, to Buganud, they lead the number nine team by 10 points. So as you see mathematically, neither one of them can get anywhere close to uh, glory or trouble. The two times they played earlier this season, it's a high-scoring league, and, and their matchups have been no stranger to that. Howd, uh, they won two to five on the road, and then two Buganud returned the favor four to five. So who will get the tiebreaker? Will the pattern continue? Part of me says, who cares? And not just because it's meaningless. Maybe it means everything, or at least one of these clubs might. Because while they pronounce it, I believe I think I'm getting it right with Howd. It's actually the way it's spelled out in English lettering. And this is every place I've seen. And I looked. K-H-O-V-D. Conspiracy theorists of the world unite. This town, which is the same as the name of the club, is only two hours from the Chinese border. Maybe it didn't come from Wuhan after all. Maybe they've been throwing us off the real scent and they have labs there in their neighbor of Mongolia. I mean, after all, the club was only founded in 2018. Coincidence? Yeah, probably, but I'm going to pretend that it's not. And uh, suddenly they have the money to have the talent at this level to get into the Premier League. Where did it come from? Maybe China? And maybe this is a place they've been using for a while because in Mongolia, uh, Haud is in what's called a strictly protected area. And those letters are all capitalized. It is a Mongolian government designation. It's called the Mankan Nature Preserve. Yeah, sure. There are any Chinese labs in there. I'm sure of it. Just because the town is set in the mountains and also protected geographically by a really large, fast running river. Yeah, it's in the Altai Mountains. You can look it up. Now, funny-wise, uh, conspiracy theories aside, I'm really wanting to sell this one. Um, they should be in second place. That's the best way to say this. Um, they were deducted six points, not entirely sure why, and they would otherwise be in distant second place. Four other teams were also deducted points in this league, and once you add it all up, basically this is the uh, – how uh, it is the second-best team in the league, albeit a distant second to Ulan Batar. Last year, they finished in ninth place in what was their first division one year. Uh, this year, the offense is where they've really shined their second best in that regard, getting almost three and a half goals per match, and their form also impressive. They have only dropped points in two of the last 13 matches with one draw and one loss in the mix. And now Ulan Batar, no conspiracy theorists here. I just think that it sounds like bugging you, and that's fine. The club name actually means Central Deer. So I believe the Central is where the province of Tov is located geographically, and Deer is simply the other portion of it. Last year, they finished in fifth place, and that was their first year in Division I as well. This year, the record is very strange. Even in a high-scoring league like the Mongolian one, no draws after 25 matches? Odd. They are 12-0 and 13. Uh, the offense has been okay. The defense has been subpar. They've been giving up two and two-thirds goals per 90, and that's a lot even in a high-scoring league. Team's current form, they have won four of their last five with a really interesting goal differential of 21 against 16. Shootout City, here we come. 
And now here's where things get a little bit dark because we're ready to look at two teams that are at or near the very bottom of their top flight league. Welcome to the fresh hellscape. That is the match of disappointed. Oh, and Kevin Sorbo's Herculean scoring is so warranted. These are not the bottom two teams for this Friday match from Argentina, but I felt like cheating because 28 teams deep. I thought this is close enough. We're going to get two of the bottom three. A little bit about the league first. Argentina's Liga Profesional is currently ranked second in Conmobile. I thought they had moved up to number one. I guess I'm not sure how often they recalculate that. It's got to be very close with uh, the Brazilian top flight at this point. The top two finishers are going to get to go to the uh, Copa Libertadores. That's their, uh, that's the South American Champions League group stage. The third place finisher will go to the Champions League second qualifying round. And then the next six clubs will all go to their version of the Europa League that they call the Copa Sudamericana. One team, only one out of 28, will get relegated, uh, and they use a three-season coefficient table for that. These two teams are uh, near the bottom or at the bottom of that, as well as of this year's table in particular, and they're unlikely to move up very much of it all because they are three-quarters of the way through this season. Your matchup, avert your eyes, children, number 26, Velez Sarsfield versus number 28, last place, Arsenal Sarandi. It sounds French when I say it that way, but I'm just trying to get my uh, emphasis on the right syllable there at the end. Uh, Arsenal currently trail number 27, Banfield, and uh, Velez-Sarfield by one point. Series between these two, Velez have had the far better of it, accruing an 8-7-2 record in recent seasons. 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time in the U.S., you can catch this on VIX Premium Deportes, which is a Spanish-language streaming service. Velez-Sarfield, they play out of the... Uh, Linear's neighborhood of Buenos Aires, which is in the far west, and it's got about 50,000 people. The club has an interesting nickname. They are known as L14, the Fort. They've won 10 league titles, even though they're on the opposite end of things right now, and they're only 10 years removed from their last one. That's not that long, I don't think, in footballing terms anyway. They even won the Copa Libertadores once, and uh, well, within my lifetime, 1994. Last year, they just missed the relegation zone. They finished in 26th place. This year, the offense is actually slightly below or above average, rather. They're not quite getting one goal per match, but Argentina's top fight is a very defensively oriented one. Uh, they're in what they're in the bottom three for defense, and they're not giving up that much more than one goal per match. That's all good to having them with the worst goal differential in the league. We're not even going to look at good players for this. It's not like the match of disappointment where they get off easy. Oh, no. We're going to talk about who has been absolutely stinking up the joint. The most disappointing, yeah, disappointing player, their goalkeeper, 39-year-old veteran who apparently should have hung up his shoes when he was 38, Uruguayan goalkeeper Leonardo Burian. Only three clean sheets and 13 appearances. They've finally gotten some common sense in their heads. Uh, the management there, the coaches, they haven't started him. He hasn't played in the last five matches. Here's to hoping they won't ever have to see him again. Team's current form. This will shock you. Three straight losses, albeit all by just one goal. At least they've been competitive. And now, Arsenal Sarandi, we'll just call them Arsenal. They are known as the Viaduct Men, presumably, for some architectural Workings in the area. 
They play in the Sarandi district of the Avellaneda Partido of Greater Buenos Aires. They're not in the major metro proper. Definitely out in Exurbia at the very least. The area is best known for its leather goods, especially tanning, which in turn is what else they're most famous for, and that is polluting the Riachuelo River. Apparently it's in bad shape, and it is the leather industry that is responsible for a lot of that. This team has won one league title as well, not that long ago, 2012, in the Clausura stage, back when they uh, divided their soccer year into two separate phases. Last year, they finished right exactly where Vela Sarfield were in right about a third, a third or fourth to last place. This year, they're pretty much equally bad on both sides of the ball. Uh, second to worst offense in the league, and they are tied for third to last with their hosts today when it comes to defense. The most disappointing player has a very disappointing sounding name, especially because it's got the B instead of a V. Uh, Flabian just looks like Flabian Londano, just appropriate. Somehow, I really hope they're calling him Flabby or something. He might still have some baby fight on him after all. He's only 22 years old, Colombian center forward, but with just one little goal and no assists in 16 appearances. In fact, he's only gotten four shots on target for the season. That's less than a third of his total shots. Oof. Team's current form, they have lost two straight matches in three of their last four and have been scoreless in all of those losses. It was bad. It was awful. I was terrible. Hey, boo! boo! And that's a wrap on episode 142 of Soccer Noob Rock in America. Thank you very much once again to our guest, Jonathan All of St. Louis Public Radio. Also, thank you to he who is known as the management for all of his production and editing wizardry, to Dan the Interno Inferno, whose creative efforts and inspirations continue to be in fuego, to my daughter, Persanoop. Thank you so much for everything you contribute. I love that you still love to be involved with this after, what, something like three years. Thank you to you for finding us, for making it all the way through listening. We've really endeavored to create something unique and fun, and we hope that you will pass it on to your footy-minded friends, perhaps. Until we do it again in a few days, have yourselves a fabulous footy week. Take care.